lift up a shout of praise for Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's what I'm talking about. Let's keep that hospitality going and say hi to everybody watching this, all of our locations, specifically our three God Behind Bars campuses. My goodness, my gosh, do we love you. Welcome home. Welcome to Red Rocks Church. You guys feel good? Feels good in here, man. Thanks for bringing the energy. You guys can take a seat. I'm so excited for church today, and just so there's no confusion, we are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We believe Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and we are passionate about building his church. And I'm not sure what you think you're standing in right now, or what you think you walked into, or what you think you're watching online right now, but this is not an event, and this is not a YouTube video. This is the church of Jesus Christ the hope of the world, God's plan A for his kingdom come and his will be done. And when you give here and when you serve here and when you show up and you watch and you invite people, you are investing into and building the most irresistible and unstoppable force that history knows about. And it matters what we do here. Amen. It matters what we do here. And that's why for this series, Kingdom Builders, it is about far more than just finances and money. For this church, Red Rocks Church, it is about legacy and it's about worship and it's about investing into something that's gonna outlive all of us and building something bigger than ourselves. And so I'm not sure if you're new or maybe you got some church baggage around the topic of giving. I just wanna set you free right now, free you up by telling you we want nothing from you. God needs nothing from you. And you will walk out of here built up and not beat down. I don't have an instruction for you. I believe Jesus has an invitation for you to watch and let your faith be built as you observe a church full of real people just like you with real burdens and real lack and real pressures and real bills to pay just like you, do something that seems kind of illogical or impossible or maybe even slightly stupid if God's not real. You are not sitting in an ordinary church. You are sitting in the middle of Red Rocks Church at a key and pivotal season where we are setting a standard for who we will be for the decades to come, amen? amen? I've been insecure and having a pity party for myself all week because I have to preach the week after Craig Rochelle. I have a theory that Sean and Ronnie planned it that way. But then I had an epiphany yesterday and I realized, you know what? Month in and month out, I gotta preach on the same stage as Sean frickin' Johnson. And I apologize for the frickin', but it's just necessary. In RJ3, the best looking pastor may be on this entire planet. And so if you can do that, followed closely by Sean and probably Craig. So who am I kidding? I have a crush on all three of them. I'm just happy to be in the room. So let's just, let's read the Bible. Dear Lord, let's read the Bible. This is 2 Corinthians chapter eight. The apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says this. Now friends, oh, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in Macedonia province. Okay, listen to this sentence. Fierce troubles came down 
on the people of those churches, pushing them to the very limit. There's a lot of familiarity in that one verse. The trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. What? So more money is not gonna fix that depression or quench your ambition. Incredibly happy while desperately poor. And the pressure, you guys, it triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. I love how trials, that's what they do. They expose your true colors, your substance. So you may have been born selfish, but you were born again generous. Even if you've never acted like it, God has this funny way of not really seeing you where you are as much as he sees where you, where you can be. That's why he'll call you righteous while you're still an addict. That's why he'll call you generous before you've given a dime. Why? Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to go and do. I was there, I saw it for myself. They gave offerings of whatever they could and then check this, far more than what they could afford. So here's what I think. Skip ahead to verse 10. Here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now, church, is to finish what you started last year and not let those good intentions grow stale. Your heart's been in the right place all along. You got what it takes. This is a pump-up talk. You got what it takes to finish up and finish strong, so go to it. A life of generosity and sacrifice is, I believe, the highest level of life you can live. And if you're not living there, that's it's completely okay. It's just, one of you, as one of your pastors, I just have to make sure it's not because nobody's called you to that level of living yet. Today, I'm gonna call you to that level of living. And if you're a note taker, we're gonna title this message, Sleeping Giant. Sleeping Giant. Giants. So God, I thank you for what you're doing in this church. The glory is yours. Jesus, I thank you that your grace shines brighter than our darkest nights. I pray away any spirit of condemnation or apathy in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would dare us to live sacrificial lives and that you would awaken the generous giant on the inside of every single one of us. Today, we, we put our treasure where our faith is. We pray that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, I'm an evangelist at heart, but not just for Jesus. An evangelist means you're passionate about stuff and you just try to enthusiastically get other people to be passionate about the same stuff. So whether it's Jesus or juicing or Marvel movies, or the Chase Sapphire credit card. They're our sponsors this weekend. Don't tell Dave Ramsey. I just talk about what I'm, what I'm passionate about. So that brings me to ice baths. A lot of you are looking at me right now like I'm crazy. I'm the one who thinks you're crazy, okay? So this is, my, this is my ice bath in my garage, my DIY ice bath I made out of a freezer chest that I keep at 33 degrees Fahrenheit. And I don't want to make this sound like a sales pitch. Guys, it's not just about the, the increased serotonin and the decreased anxiety and decreased inflammation and pain relief and the fact that you burn hundreds of calories in like three minutes. It's not, it's not any of that stuff. For me, it's the energy, 
Because Ronnie, nothing, and I mean nothing, wakes you up like cold water. You might think I'm crazy, but this is what I say to people. I just cherish feeling awake and feeling alive. Because like all of us, man, I'm just, without that, I would just be tired all the time. We are two years into a church plant during a pandemic. Baby two is gonna be here any day now. Like I'm just, I'd be tired all the time. Let's just be real. I'm tired, you're tired, we're all tired. Uh, We spend a lot of money trying to wake up. Starbucks is gonna make $30 billion this year because you're trying to wake up, right? Think about it, caffeine is like the one addiction I could admit to in a sermon at church and be completely serious and you guys would just giggle (laughs) and laugh like, yeah, me too, I'm sure it's fine. We deal it out in the lobbies, help yourself, right? We drink coffee because it wakes us up kinda sorta until the afternoon when when we have a crash, but nothing, Zach, and I mean nothing, wakes you up like cold water. So here's what happens. You hop in the tub and your body goes into fight or flight mode immediately because it shocks your system, really. And your mind actually starts thinking, I'm going to die. And you hyperventilate a little bit and you think this, you think, what the heck did I just do? But then you breathe and you breathe a little bit more And you start to realize something really, really cool. Not only am I okay, but I've actually never been this alive or awake in my entire life. Generosity is like cold water for your soul because money is important. And giving away what's important shocks your system and wakes you up. And that's not just a cute preaching metaphor like, ah, I see what you did there. I am being so serious when I say you will never meet an apathetic, generous person. You're never gonna find a sleepy, slumbering soul that lives a life of sacrifice. Giving beyond your means makes you go, I can't believe I just did that. And your soul hyperventilates, but then you breathe, And you remind yourself who gave you that breath in the first place, that the hands holding the whole world are holding my finances and my future and my family. And then you watch as he responds and your heart melts and you feel purpose and you become part of something bigger than yourself and nothing, and I mean nothing, wakes up your soul like generosity. There's life to be lived And I guess my message today is live it awake, man. For real, I dare you to try to outgive God this year. After all, this is the one area of your life where he says, test me in this and try me on this. Find out firsthand, generosity is an addiction that he'll fund. Paul shares a story about the churches in Macedonia. He said, fierce troubles came and it pushed him to the very limit, hashtag 2020. Fierce troubles came, and the pressure triggered something totally unexpected. Not hoarding, not playing it safe, but crazy, crazy generosity. They gave offerings of whatever they could, far beyond what they could afford. And I I mean, I've heard of living beyond your means. I've been guilty of that. But giving beyond your means. 
That's why generosity is cold water for a sleepy soul because you don't need God to give at your means. You need him to give beyond them. And so if you feel apathetic in your faith, I mean, really, if you feel like your soul is sleepy or you feel stuck or lethargic or maybe you're climbing the ladder of success and you have this haunting, low-grade fear that you're succeeding in all the things that aren't gonna matter in eternity, the invitation on the table for you is called generosity, to be a kingdom builder by investing your treasure. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So catch that. According to Jesus, the number one obstacle that's gonna, that you're gonna face in loving God is actually loving money. And that's why Jesus talked about money relentlessly more than any other topic that he talked about in the gospels because your heart follows your treasure. We think our, our treasure's gonna follow our hearts. Like if it has my heart, I'll give to it. No, if you give to it, It'll have your heart. Invest in the stock market, you'll be shocked how much you check the stock market. Buy a new condo, watch how often you look at that Zestimate. Why do you think God created generosity and giving in the first place? I want you to think about that. Why did God create giving? To pay the electrical bill in heaven, right? Like I love when Christians say, God just wants my money, just needs my money, yo. And I'm like, God, the star breather, the constellation designer needs your money, bro? How much do you have? No, he does not need your money. God wants your heart. That's why he created giving and generosity because if he gets your treasure, he gets you. And that is where a blessed and abundant life is found. Not always in a fat wallet, but always, always, always in the fruit of the Spirit, a byproduct of Jesus having your treasure in your heart. The fruit of the Spirit, joy, happiness, peace, tranquility, calmness. How many synonyms do you want, right? Kindness, patience, self-control. You know all the things billionaires are trying to buy but can't. And I think that's why the enemy has stained and polluted the word giving. The pastor says the word money and our brains shut off. Nope, come on, babe, we're, we're out of here. Church just wants our money. Can we get real? Some of you trust the church more with your kids than you do with your money. I'll take my kids, please, thank you, God. All my money, And I get it, like some of that is church baggage. I've got some religion rehabbing I still need to do in my life about being guilt-tripped a time or two, but can we just be real as fellow human beings who have way more in common than we don't who are in this together? You guys, we love money. And who could blame us? I mean, it's important. You need it. You work hard for it. It's your treasure. But the enemy's smart. And he knows Matthew 6, 21 better than any of us. And I can just picture him with all of his little demon minions in a Monday morning staff meeting trying to figure out how to pollute and tarnish the word generosity. 
thinking, okay, uh, wherever their, their treasure goes, that's where their hearts will go, so I need to intercept that. I'll take the word giving, and I'll make it a Christian cuss word. I'll take the word tithe, and I'll make that. That's the T word in church. That is the ultimate Christian cuss word. And you can make an argument. He's done a pretty good job. We're all susceptible. That's why I think you could also make an argument that perhaps the best thing to ever happen to the church in Macedonia was fierce troubles and a pressure that pushed them. Because what it led to was unexpected generosity and from that moment on, God had them. Because he had their treasure and he had them for the rest of their lives. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So I was driving home from a, uh, a wedding a few weeks ago in the middle of nowhere, Texas, at 10 p.m. at night uh, by myself, okay? My wife wasn't there. Something about being nine months pregnant, excuses, you know. And uh, I'm driving home, and all of a sudden, something catches my attention up in the night sky. So let me be vulnerable I thought it was a UFO. (laughs) So I pull over my car. I get out of my car and I'm looking up like, what? What is that? Because it drove me crazy because I couldn't explain it. And I'm totally not that guy, okay? All I know about aliens, I learned from Will Smith and Independence Day, okay? But uh, picture this scene. By myself, it's been 20 minutes since I've seen another human being or a a set of headlights. Surrounded by cornfields in the middle of Texas, and what looks like a a string of lights or a centipede crawling across the night sky moves right over me, and it drove me crazy. I'm like, did I secondhand smoke something at that wedding? Like, what, am I crazy? The whole drive home, man, I I was just like, great. Like, now I, I gotta be the boy who cried aliens. I can't be the close encounter lunatic on 60 Minutes but I can't explain this. And so I get home, and the next morning, I tell tell my wife and my friends, I say, I've got to report something (laughs) slightly shocking, and none of them believed me. (laughs) None of them believed me. So I'm thinking, "Am am I crazy? No, I'm not crazy. But am I, though? Like, was that real? Did that really actually happened until one of my friends pulled out her phone. She pulled up a video and she showed me this and she said, by any chance, is this what you saw? And I felt so validated and vindicated because I'm like, that that's it, that's what I saw. Like picture the scene if you don't know what that is, cornfields all alone at night in Texas that looks like a fleet of UFOs coming for me, right? I'm like, how did, how did you find that? She said, I Googled it. It's this crazy new website that has all the answers for, for everything. <laughs> but I watched that video and I thought, Elon, you son of a gun, you got me so good, right? Oh, I felt so, I was just, okay, I'm not crazy. What I saw was real, I'm not crazy. And I feel like Paul felt that way, writing 2 Corinthians chapter eight, I'm not crazy. I saw it firsthand in Macedonia. Extreme poverty, so happy, 
fierce troubles, a pressure that pushed them to the limit, and it led to crazy generosity. I saw it with my own two eyes. I'm not crazy. I feel like David felt the same way reading Psalm 37. I once was young, and now I'm a gray beard. <laughs> Just picture Sean writing that in his journal. <laughs> Dear diary, I was once young, now I'm a gray beard. You're like, did you really just pick that translation just to make that joke? Yeah, I did. Welcome to Red Rocks. I once was young, but don't laugh too much. This is really good. I once was young, now I'm old, and not once have I seen an abandoned believer or their children begging for bread. I'm not crazy. They are always generous and lend freely, and their children will always be a blessing. I've lived a lot of life, and I've seen a lot of believers live radically generous. I've been through a lot of end-of-year givings. I've seen a lot of real people with real bill, bills and real burdens give beyond their means in a way that seems so dumb if God's not real. And I've never, ever once seen those same people begging for bread. God just, he takes care of the generous. There's favor on their homes. Their kids are blessed to be a blessing. They live freely and lightly, and you can't convince me it's not real. You can't convince me. You guys, my faith has been built more through generosity than anything else. For my wife and I, from our first year of marriage, never missing a week of tithing while she's in between jobs and I'm making 15K to years following that and giving beyond our means in a way that seems irresponsible if God's not real with babies on the way and mortgages to pay. But guys, I, he just takes care of us, man. I'm not crazy. He just comes through time and time again. I've seen friends who just live generously, giving beyond their means and their worlds just get bigger. Like Proverbs says, I've seen Christians try sacrificing for the first time and I've watched as it shocked their souls and they've come alive through giving. I'm not crazy and I can't not talk about it. And I don't need to twist your arm. I'm not trying to twist your arm to give here. I want you to experience freedom, not write a check to Red Rocks Church. I want your soul to live fully alive with nothing holding it back, not just put some cash in a basket because you feel like you should. God's got this church. He's done nothing but prove that time in and time again for 16 years. I don't need to beg you to give. All I need to do is extend an invitation, present you with an opportunity, be honest and bold about the one thing Jesus would never shut up about, and try my best to live as an example, as a kingdom builder. So I can just say this and mean it with all my heart, man. Give anywhere. For real, give anywhere. It doesn't have to be here. We're trying to build a generous people. Give anywhere. But if you hear that voice in your head that just says, oh, church, church is talking about money again. Maybe wait until next year. Like, does that really sound like God? For real, though. The enemy's never gonna dare you to give money. And God is never gonna ask you to play it small. 
Church, I'm not crazy. I've seen it firsthand so many times, not just in my life, but in my friend's life, in this church. I've watched God do amazing thing after amazing thing. He was not messing around when he said, try me on this. If I get your treasure, I get you. You guys, I'm not crazy. I'm just an evangelist. And when I'm passionate, I gotta get other people passionate about something that I believe is gonna add to your life and make your life better. Worship team, you can, you can come back up. Well, let's finish right here. On a, uh, on a sunny and quiet morning in December of 1951, 353 Japanese aircraft flew over the mountains in North Oahu towards Pearl Harbor on a mission to destroy the United States Pacific Fleet. For 90 minutes, bombs and torpedoes and bullets rained from the sky in a surprise attack, catching sailors at breakfast and in their bunks completely off guard. It was hell on earth for 90 minutes. Pilots tried to fight back by dodging bullets, running to their planes on the tarmac and Nurses triaged the wounded and sailors risked their lives to save their friends. But at the end of the day, 2,403 people died and 1,000 more were wounded. And the attack on Pearl Harbor is a day that has lived in infamy ever since. Later that night, the man who planned the attack, Japanese Admiral Isoroku Yamamoto, penned this in his diary. I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. That generation came to be known as the greatest generation. The season following Pearl Harbor is historically the most united the United States have ever been. Common enemies have a a crazy way of generating uncommon unity. Common mission generates uncommon sacrifice. They went without paychecks. They went with different jobs, without comfort. They sacrificed their lives. And the weird thing is nobody seemed to care because they were united around sacrifice. What if 2020, you guys, Mark the year that the enemy woke a sleeping giant called the church and filled her with a terrible resolve where Satan and his demons shudder and tremble at their end of year staff meeting because they took every cheap shot they had and rolled out every strategy they had and all it did was wake up the giant of all giants, the church of Jesus Christ because Jesus called it 2,000 years ago when he said he'll build his church and not even the gates of hell will be able to prevail against it. And I just gotta make sure we know that we know, that we know, that we know, that we know how true that is because did you know Great Danes don't know how big they are? And Great Danes are the most timid and frightened dogs And it just looks funny, and it doesn't make sense. And sometimes I wish dogs spoke English, or I spoke dog, 
so I could sit down with the Great Dane and explain to it how powerful it is and how it has absolutely no reason to be timid. You guys, I absolutely love the church. I've given my life to build it. It's done so much already, but we're all here because we agree she's just getting started. And sometimes I don't know if we know how powerful we are and exactly what we're capable of. We have not been given a spirit of fear or timidity. We have been given a spirit of power and love and a self, a sound mind. We are the church of Jesus Christ, the most irresistible, unstoppable force that history knows about. And what if we were rallied and united around great sacrifice and generosity? Because I'm telling you, Satan's not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a united church. Following 1941, they were united around sacrifice, and it was a spirit more contagious than Corona. It was so contagious, it spread globally. Winston Churchill, across the ocean, said this, Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties, and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, This was their finest hour. So hundreds of years from now, when historians look back at this era of the church, what will they say? Last year, I believe God really impressed it on my heart that this decade, the decade we just started would be one of the church's finest hours. And I still believe that. Maybe even more, because like the Macedonians, what's the prerequisite for a finest hour? Fierce trouble pressure that pushes. It's been a crazy three years for our church. A lot of ups, but a lot of downs. And for our nation, 70% of young people walking away from their faith in their first year of college because one professor who doesn't even know their name says one thing that pulls out one card in their house of cards. What about the rise of the nuns and people who want nothing to do with religion? Look at the second wave of angry atheism and the, the loneliness epidemic and the statistics of rising anxiety and depression and, and suicide. And that was before 2020. And now we're living in a pandemic and our country is, is racially and politically divided. People are losing jobs and loved ones and homes. People are afraid, believers are doubting, the future has never been more unknown, but what if, you guys, what if 2020 marked the year that the lowercase kingdom of hell, in all of its small-minded strategy, woke a sleeping giant called the church and filled her with a terrible resolve for redemption and restoration? Because once upon a time, evil came for the world and God said, not on my watch. And what did he do? He gave his son. I've been praying for a not on my watch kind of mentality for the church and that the world would know about it by what we give and our generosity and the way that we, that we sacrifice. Do you know how much resource and talent and connection is in our buildings right now? Like the only question is, do you see the obstacles or the opportunities, man? Do you see all the problems or do you see real people worth sacrificing for? 
What if a year of apparent setbacks was actually a year of set-ups for the kingdom builders? Do you see what is or do you see what could be? Because I see so much potential in front of us. I believe in the next generation and while I'm not sure what it holds, I'm confident the future of the church is bright. Not because things will get easier, but because Christians will get better and the church will rise to the occasion and the earth will groan but we will praise his name all the louder. The devil will take cheap shots because that's all he knows how to do, but the church will win on the scoreboard because that's what we know how to do, making heaven more crowded by sacrificing and giving beyond our means and giving generous to build more churches, to reach more people as the kingdom builders of the only kingdom that is unshakable, amen? Church, will you stand every location? My kids might grow up in a crazy world, but they're also gonna grow up in the church during its finest hour. People ask all the time, I wonder what God's about to do next. But an equally valid and maybe even better question is the one God's asking right now. I wonder what my kingdom builders are gonna do next. I wonder how they're gonna give. I wonder if something unexpected will happen like in the church in Macedonia. Will they sacrifice for what they want or will what they want be the sacrifice? Because I'm telling you, the bride of Jesus Christ has not seen her best days yet. Watch how Paul finishes that challenge. So here's what I think. He says this. Here's what I think. The best thing you can do right now is to finish what you started last year. I know he's talking to Corinth but I just feel like he's speaking to us, man. I feel it so powerfully because something, something crazy and powerful started at the end of last year through our end of year giving. And to me this year, uh, it's just more evidence for the reason behind it. There's resistance to the church right now. Maybe because the devil's afraid of the future. I mean, come on. The possibilities, the opportunities are absolutely endless as we move faster and faster into the future. We have more and more technology, more and more resources, and those things can be bad. But the point of this series is flipping those things upside down on their head and using them to make some serious noise in the world. And I just feel like the kingdom of hell, I picture Satan at his little staff meetings with his little minions trembling because I know one thing about cheap shots it means you know you're about to lose the best thing you can do finish what you started last year don't let those good intentions grow stale your hearts are in the right place they have been all along you've got what it takes to finish up and finish strong so go and do it so I want to challenge you right now to start praying, like really praying about what to give this year. I'm going to be bold and I'm going to challenge you to shock your system by giving beyond your means. Give in a way that you need God to respond so you can watch when he does. And find out firsthand what it means to live with a soul that is wide awake and alive. 
that doesn't need those little espresso hits and coffee hits with all those crashes because you're just awake. Because generosity will wake your soul up unlike anything else. It's the highest level that a human being can live at. So I'm here to say, you only get one life to see what that's like, you guys, so you can get to the end of it one day and look back and say, I once was young, but now I'm old, and God's just always had my back. My house has just always had favor, and I'm not crazy. My kids are just blessed to be a blessing, and I'm not crazy. He just takes care of his generous kids, and I'm not crazy. And I was one of the kingdom builders who lived through that decade that will be called the church in America's finest hour. Amen. God, we love you. Once again, I pray away the spirit of condemnation. I pray away the spirit of apathy in Jesus' name. But God, I invite a spirit that wants to challenge us, challenge us and push us and dare us to give beyond our means. I just feel like we're living in a world where so many Christians are walking around that we're sleepwalking through life. What if 2020 marked the year that woke us up, that woke a sleeping giant and filled her with a terrible resolve for redemption and restoration. And the church developed a not on my watch kind of mindset and mentality. And that the world knew about it by the way we gave sacrificially and the unexpected generosity that poured out to build more churches, to reach more people and restore more of this planet. God, would we make some noise and would the world see that we are united around sacrifice? In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Red Rocks Church, let's worship.